Are you curious about what it's like working in healthcare today? Do you believe in the power of storytelling? I'm Dr. Emily Silverman, the host of the Nocturnist podcast, where healthcare workers share personal stories of joy, sorrow, and self-discovery. Each episode, whether a compelling performance from one of our live shows, an intimate series of audio diaries from one of our documentaries, or an engaging conversation with guests such as book authors or filmmakers, aims to connect, provoke, and inspire. Learn more at thenocturnist.com or subscribe to The Nocturnist wherever you get your podcasts. A quick warning, there is some sensitive language in this episode. Health insurance ain't what it used to be. At least not for the some 150 million Americans who get their insurance through work. It's time to quit raising co-pays, quit with the high deductible health plans, quit with that. For years, most employers have saddled workers with higher and higher health care costs. Now, a small but growing group of companies, unions, and public employers says it's time for a reckoning. To fight sky-high prices, they're using data, facts and figures that have been hidden in plain sight, and taking a stab at new ways to buy health care. It's a mission that has them on a collision course with hospitals, insurers, even their own employees. From the studio at the Leonard Davis Institute at the University of Pennsylvania, I'm Dan Gornstein, and this is Tradeoffs. We're really excited about today's show. It's something a little different that we're going to try this year. And you can sort of think of it like a magazine feature, but for your ears. For this one, senior producer Leslie Walker and I have been working at it since December, and she's going to join us today to help tell the story. Leslie, glad you're here. Thanks, Dan. Excited to be here. So this story, it's about some people who are laser focused on one thing, beating back high healthcare costs for employers and their workers. And it starts where lots of great stories start, at a bar. So here's the scene. It's the back corner of a dark, kitschy tavern in Denver, Colorado. It's the summer of 2018, and Gloria Sachdev is having drinks with the woman of her dreams. I, I was speechless. I, I was in awe of her. I knew I wanted to get to know her. I mean, I was in love, right? <laughs> so. Earlier that day at a healthcare conference, this dream woman, Marilyn Bartlett, had told Gloria and a room full of employers how she'd accomplished the unthinkable. She'd rescued the state of Montana's employee health plan from going into the red, and she'd saved it $30 million in just three years. For Gloria, that sounded like winning the Olympics. I mean, I was just in awe of her that she was able to do this. And tonight, Gloria's sitting right next to Marilyn, practically a healthcare folk hero. She'd unearthed the root of Montana's rising costs, hospital prices, and she'd gone toe-to-toe with hospital executives and won. And Leslie, there's two things that strike anyone who meets Marilyn right off the bat. One, she can be easy to miss. I say I'm five foot two, but I think I'm five foot one. And how much do you weigh? A hundred and ten. And she's tough as hell. I asked my grandkids if I was pushy. Finally, little Vinny said, well, yeah, but you're pushy in a good way. I don't give up. And that is exactly the person Gloria met that night. She didn't hold back. I mean, she cusses with the best of them. And honestly, I think our friendship was forged around vodka. (laughs) 
So what exactly had this small, fiery lady managed to do back in Montana that had Gloria on the edge of her bar stool? It started with a pile of receipts. Basically, Marilyn had rounded up a year's worth of hospital bills Montana had paid on behalf of its workers, and then she tried to find something to compare them to, some sort of benchmark, because without that, how would you know if you're getting a good deal or not? Right. Most prices are trapped in secret contracts, but Medicare, the health program for seniors, does publish how much it pays hospitals. Yep. So when Marilyn compared what hospitals charge the state to what hospitals charge Medicare, she found Montana was paying two, three, even four times more for the exact same care. I was shocked by that difference, but I also then knew we had room. We definitely had room to negotiate. Now remember, Marilyn's responsible for the solvency of the state's health plan, and it was facing a $9 million shortfall. So she makes this bold decision. Rather than have the hospitals name their price, as they've been doing for years, Marilyn's going to set the price, and she's going to use Medicare as her benchmark. Hospitals have claimed for decades Medicare rates are too low to keep the lights on, and Marilyn factored that in, more than doubling the rate she was offering to about 230% of what Medicare pays. If the hospitals didn't play ball, they'd lose the whole Montana state health plan, the biggest book of employer business in the state. Gloria could barely believe what she was hearing. I didn't know anyone in the country that was negotiating based on a percent of Medicare. And then I hear her and she's not just doing it, she's done it. The problem Marilyn had seemingly solved was the exact same one Gloria was trying to fix. Gloria is the CEO of the Employers Forum of Indiana. It's this coalition led by big businesses worried about the cost of health care. Couple other things about Gloria. She talks fast and she carries a big PowerPoint deck with a hundred slides wherever she goes. And thanks to some data sleuthing of her own, Gloria had discovered that Indiana hospitals were also charging employers a lot more than Medicare. We were struggling to get anywhere with our hospital CEOs. The best lesson Marilyn shared that night with Gloria was about the power of one tiny word. No. It was a lesson Marilyn had learned herself at a meeting up in Billings. I said, there's more presidents and vice presidents here than there are in the European Union. She and her colleague, Sheila Hogan, had driven four hours from Helena to meet with a bunch of executives from one hospital. And Sheila and I walk in. And I'm sitting there saying, my numbers are right, my numbers are right. But the hospital executives weren't listening. Not really. And so... Sheila stood up and she said, get your stuff, we're going. And the CEO said, well, where are you going? And Sheila said, well, it's obvious you don't have any, any desire to work with us on this, so we're just going to go shopping. And I looked at her like, go shopping? You don't say that. Well, sure enough, we went to the mall and we shopped and drove back to Helena. <laughs> Marilyn realized that afternoon that her numbers, no matter how persuasive, how thorough, wouldn't mean much if Montana didn't start saying that one word. It was a word those hospital executives had rarely heard. And when Sheila uttered it, she almost seemed to break a spell. She made that call and it was the right call. We've got the other hospital down the street. We're going to move forward without you. So we're leaving. Eventually, every single hospital agreed to the rates that Marilyn had set. Standing up, 
walking away, saying no. These were new muscles, and more employers from Seattle to Raleigh were starting to flex them. Gloria was hoping her members would find those muscles too. But a few months after Denver, she wasn't having much luck with hospitals or employers. The data she'd been sitting on since before she even met Marilyn seemed pretty damning. The nonpartisan think tank Rand had actually published it, finding Indiana employers were paying hospitals nearly triple what Medicare paid for the exact same services. If nothing was going to change, then why are we doing these price transparency studies? Gloria was coming to understand just how hard it was for employers to put into practice what Marilyn had pulled off. She would get frustrated, and sometimes she'd call up another buddy she'd met in Denver, Bob Smith. Gloria and I, Marilyn, we... (laughs) We we talk quite frequently. Yeah, it's kind of like AA. You know, it's kind of like mental health groups. Bob spent 30 plus years working in hospitals and has the white hair to show for it. These days, like Gloria, he runs a coalition of employers, but in Colorado, looking to control health care costs. Now, Dan, in the story, when we're talking about employers, we're really talking Fortune 500 companies, state and local governments, unions, the big fish. They spend millions, sometimes billions a year on health care for their workers. Right. And, and Bob's got a theory why so many employers end up sitting on the sidelines. He chalks it up to three things. One size. OK, no employer, even the state of Colorado is not big enough to offset the power that these large health systems have. Employers just really don't have much leverage at the negotiating table. The second challenge they have is sophistication. The employers are pretty good at evaluating Cigna or Anthem or Aetna, they have no idea how to evaluate hospital services, okay? They just don't. In other words, even if employers drop their insurance and want to negotiate on their own, most have no clue where to start. So it's easier to just stick with the status quo, lean on their insurers, and cross their fingers they're getting a good deal. And that takes us to the last challenge, fear. They don't want to disrupt their employees, and so they're afraid of a blowback or pushback. And those are the three challenges. Gloria got all of that, but she wasn't about to let go of the price problem she knew Indiana had. She wasn't sure exactly what to do, so she doubled down on data and asked Rand researchers for a follow-up study. Rand 2.0. We started inviting other states to participate. Are we high? Are we low? What, what's a regional average? That was my goal, like trying to touch five, six, seven states around us. Gloria's looking for a sort of benchmark of her own to help Indiana employers see how they stack up. She spends half of 2018 crisscrossing the country, collecting this price data. And for the first time, she gets a sense of momentum. She manages to collect claims for care received by 4 million people at nearly 1,600 hospitals in 25 states. Real quick, Leslie. As hospitals do point out, that represents around just 1% of everybody covered by employer insurance. That's true, but it was a lot more than she expected. So employers hand this data over to the researchers. And then Gloria just starts waiting, wondering where Indiana's going to land in all this. And I, I couldn't believe it. Indiana was the highest price state of 25 states. And I was just, I mean, I should have been, I had like 18 things on my to-do list, but I, I mean, I was just, I was speechless. We thought we would be middle to low. 
we were stunned. Rarely does an economics paper get headlines coast to coast, but this one did. That's according to a new study from the RAND Corporation. At the high end, they're charging four times more than what they get from the government. Charge private insurance more than three times what Medicare pays for the same service. Billing you and your insurance company more than four times what Medicare pays them. Notice the theme? Medicare. For the first time, employers could see how much more that hospitals across the street were charging compared to this benchmark. Bob Smith in Colorado says RAND 2.0 helped some less savvy employers see their hospital deals in a new light, like when he talked to a small school district that had just been bragging about the sweet 60% discount they'd gotten. And they said, can you imagine that? They must be going broke. I mean, they are clearly subsidizing us. Well, we calculated what 60% off their charges were, and they're paying 360% of Medicare. But if you don't have these data, how do you know? And for more sophisticated employers, it gave them in black and white a number to express a hunch they'd had for years, that they were getting ripped off. It's one thing to suspect. It's one thing to think, wow, I didn't get a great deal. It's another thing to see it quantified. Elizabeth Mitchell there runs the Purchaser Business Group on Health. It represents some really big employers like Microsoft and Walmart. Gloria had finally gotten the full attention of most of her public and private employers. Like Candace Schaefer, who heads up benefits for Purdue University. It was just a like, okay, yep, there's a problem here. And the employers did something they hadn't done before. In the fall of 2019, they joined together to demand better prices. The goal was to improve care and save money for themselves and their workers, workers who'd seen healthcare costs rise two times faster than wages. One of the first things that they did was ask for a sit-down with their insurance company, Anthem. One word for those meetings, awkward, right? I I mean, hands down, I I remember being in the room and us just kind of being like, how does this happen? Surely you saw this, right? The pressure was on. Anthem had already agreed to stop negotiating some prices down from the seemingly arbitrary prices hospitals offered and start negotiating up from Medicare rates, just like Maryland had done back in Montana. But the employers wanted more. Anthem was renegotiating with Parkview Health, a hospital system that Rand showed was charging four times Medicare. The employers made it clear they wanted those prices to fall. Negotiations between Parkview Health and Anthem Insurance continue with their relationship on the brink. Parkview was refusing to budge and some employers were getting cold feet. Candace says Purdue, as one of the state's biggest employers, decided to take a page from Marilyn Bartlett's Montana playbook. Parkview needed to come down in their pricing. And if they weren't willing to do that, uh, we were going to figure it out for our employees and members. It was a bold statement that we needed to make as an employer. Purdue channeled the big power of that little word, N-O. And in July of 2020, after months of public drama, Parkview blinked. Contract negotiations between Anthem of Indiana and Parkview Health came to a long-anticipated end today. The five-year deal is expected to save $700 million. The multi-year agreement provides Anthem members with continued in-network access to all Parkview Health providers and facilities. What that group of employers threatened to do, says Elizabeth Mitchell, it's no small feat. It's something even the jumbo businesses she represents are scared to do. It takes a lot of fortitude to carve a marquee brand hospital out of a network. (laughs) 
But if you can't do that, you have very little leverage. In a survey last year by the Kaiser Family Foundation, just 4% of employers said they dropped a hospital and shrunk their healthcare network to cut costs. After the break, one worker's journey through one of those narrow networks, Gloria goes to the Statehouse and Maryland's second act. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Are you curious about what it's like working in healthcare today? Do you believe in the power of storytelling? I'm Dr. Emily Silverman, the host of the Nocturnist podcast, where healthcare workers share personal stories of joy, sorrow, and self-discovery. Each episode, whether a compelling performance from one of our live shows, an intimate series of audio diaries from one of our documentaries, or an engaging conversation with guests such as book authors or filmmakers, aims to connect, provoke, and inspire. Learn more at thenocturnist.com. Or subscribe to The Nocturnist wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, Leslie, we're back. And we're heading from Indianapolis to the Big Apple, New York City, where, Dan, your interview got off to a rough start. I, I'm, a, I'm a Bulls fan. I'm from Chicago. I grew up in the city of Chicago. Oh, no, we can't talk. <laughs> we can't talk. <laughs> That's Will Haynes. He's 41, lives in the Bronx, and sad to say, a die-hard Knicks fan. He's also a member of 32BJ, a union with 160,000 members in 11 states, primarily New York and New Jersey. These are folks who work jobs like security, office cleaning, and building maintenance. And when Will got his job on May 23rd, 2016, he says he actually thinks he kissed the floor. He was so happy. That day was overwhelming. Yeah, it was one of the best days of my life. The job meant making $20 an hour and just as important to him, great health insurance with no monthly premiums. But over at the union office, Sarah Rothstein says their health plan was in trouble. At the point at which I came in, hospital costs were increasing about 8% a year. Sarah manages the Union Health Fund, where more than 5,000 different employers each chip in, and together they pay for health care for the union members. She was hustling to keep employers' contributions in check and preserve high-quality benefits for people like Will. That's tough when employers' contributions are rising 7 or 8% a year. In another time, Sarah might have just passed those costs on, but seeing employers around the country digging into their data, cutting out expensive hospitals, it gave her this roadmap and confidence. She started to say no. To steer employers away from pricey places, Sarah started small. The health plan cut a direct deal with New York City-based Mount Sinai for joint replacements and bariatric surgeries. If members went there, they'd pay nothing out of pocket and get extra perks. We weren't telling people that they couldn't go to the more expensive hospitals. They were just going to have to pay more if they wanted to go. 
Sarah hoped that price difference would be persuasive and the health plan would save money. But the fear that changing benefits will anger and even harm workers is what slowed down so many other employers. Sarah was worried. This was a radical change for us in terms of our approach to benefits. She decided the only way forward was to be straight with her members. At New York Presbyterian, we were paying almost $83,000 on average for a hip replacement, whereas in other New York City hospitals, we were paying on average a little over $57,000. And we shared that data with our members, and they said, wow. This was tricky, though. Most people don't want to think about money when they're picking a doc for a major surgery. They want to go with what they know. But the health plan moved ahead, rolling out its bariatric surgery deal in the middle of 2018, a few months before Will landed in the hospital. You know, it's the worst thing is like being drowned and, you know, you, you can't get no oxygen in your body. Will had suffered a terrible asthma attack. At the time, he weighed 375 pounds and his weight had made that attack nearly fatal. I'm like, oh, my goodness, I don't believe I'm about to die and I haven't accomplished what I want to accomplish with. I haven't done, I have so much to live for. Will was lucky. He survived. The moment he left the hospital, Will wasted no time and started searching out a bariatric surgery center to lose the weight. He says in his frantic bid to get healthier, he booked an appointment at one of the first places he found. You know, if I got to pay out of pocket, I would have to pay out of pocket. I don't, I didn't care. I need to save my life. I'm trying to live. So Will starts the long process of getting approved for the surgery, and they give him his checklist to start working through. Tests, labs, visits. Then someone from the union health plan calls. So she, hey, she's like, hey, William, um, I see you're, on, you're, you're going to get your bariatric surgery done. And then she just comes straight out like, look, I'm going to let you know. You could go and have your surgery with them. But if you come with us, you'll get way more benefits then when you go there with them, and my head, I'm like, I'm not doing this because I'm already starting with the other doc. I'm not going to do this. But she started describing the things that they could offer me. Things like free rides to his visits, no out-of-pocket costs, and the new doctor would pick up where the old one left off. She just sold this whole thing to me. She sold it to me. It felt like a treat. Like I was like being drafted by the NBA. It's more like you're a free agent. Like, they were fighting for me. They wanted me to come there, you know? That's the time out to call me and provide me with the information. You could say, Dan, that Will took his talents to South Beach. <laughs> Almost. He actually took them to Mount Sinai. A little less balmy, but it is where the union had that special contract. The surgery went smoothly. All Will's costs covered. And now a year out, Will's doing well. Yeah, he says he's lost more than 100 pounds and no longer has diabetes or high blood pressure. I went from a size 6, 7X t-shirt. I'm now a 2X t-shirt. I went from a 54 waist to a 40, 38 waist. You know how, like, I, I can sit back, I'm, I'm choking up now. Like, I feel awesome. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's a different feeling. It's a different feeling. And Leslie, here's the part that Sarah Rothstein would love. Will was thrilled the health plan got involved. It's not like they sent me somewhere to some nasty dungeon and, you know, the quality of health is, you know, affordable and it's a high quality. 
I tell you, the place they chose was an uh, upgrade, and I, pr- I applaud them. As of March 2020, those Mount Sinai contracts had saved the fund a little more than $9 million, roughly $20,000 per surgery. And what's even more impressive, there's been almost no blowback from workers. But the problem, says Sarah, is that 32BJ spends more than $1 billion a year on healthcare, and that keeps growing. We need more savings across the board, and we're going to have to take a bigger step. So Sarah ultimately redesigned the health plan to make members like Will pay more for all kinds of care at New York's most expensive hospitals. But she says even that's not enough. And, you know, we actually found that's a common concern among this set of employers who are trying to cut new deals. Like at Purdue, where Candace Schaefer has made a bunch more benefit changes that she expects will save as much as $5 million a year. It's certainly a nice chunk, but when costs keep climbing year after year, it can kind of feel like you're sinking in slow motion. Over the last few years, many of these pioneering employers have come to see the power of this new data, like benchmarking their prices and its limitations. And Dan, that takes us to our last chapter. Employers and advocates have realized they need help, and they're turning to lawmakers. Gloria is working with Indiana Republican State Representative Donna Shively. Donna says the RAND study changed the conversation. The best example, Donna had introduced a price transparency bill back in 2016. Her colleagues decided, too radical. But in 2020? Senate Bill 5, Chair recognizes Representative Shively for discussion. Thank you, Mr. Speaker and members of the House. Senate Bill 5 is about... Those same measures, and even a few others... Tally roll. Roll call shows 94 eyes, zero no's. Bill's passed. Passed unanimously. The main difference is we have data now. I mean, we've heard from employers that their insurance costs are, are high, but until you see it, it didn't hit home for us. It also helped that employers were raising a stink and that high health care costs could be a drag on the state's whole economy. It's hardly full speed ahead, though. Uh, Bill Donna sponsored this legislative session, eliminating anti-competitive language in hospital contracts, is already facing stiff opposition from the Indiana Hospital Association. It's a little slow for my <laughs> liking, but but um, you roll the ball uphill. Sometimes it takes a while, but you're going to get to the top eventually. <laughs> it's not just state capitals either. One year after Gloria and Marilyn swapped stories in that tavern in Denver, Marilyn Bartlett was in the U.S. Senate testifying. The uh, Committee on Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions will come to order. Senator. In June 2019, a Senate committee took up a bill tackling issues that had been driving employer costs up like anti-competitive business practices and opaque prices. Marilyn had actually helped draft the bill, and at least one senator saw her as a healthcare folk hero, too. And by the way, Ms. Bartlett, I once read an article about you, and I just said, be still my heart. You know, what you did in Montana, <laughs> you know. If I wasn't married to my wife, and I don't know your status, <laughs> True to form, <laughs> Marilyn got right down to business. She told the senators their bill needed to go bigger. I urge the committee to consider provisions to force hospitals to justify their prices, not just disclose them. In a sign of just how much the landscape was changing, business leader Elizabeth Mitchell showed up with an unusual ask. 
It may seem somewhat surprising that an organization representing large private sector companies would seek policy intervention. My members are committed to private sector market-driven solutions, but in much of U.S. healthcare, the market is simply broken. After that hearing, the lawmakers watered down the bill, and it ended up a shell of its original self. Marilyn was not pleased. It was lame. So I was livid about it. And when I called, I said, everything is taken out of this. You well, just don't do anything. And I said, who, who redlined this? The bill eventually died. While Marilyn and other employer activist types were obviously disappointed, the Senate fight and Gloria's work at the Statehouse did teach them that legislation is now an option, though an uncertain one. And that this push from employers has raised some uncomfortable and hard-to-answer questions for this country, like, are Medicare rates the right benchmark? What is a fair price for a life-saving surgery? And if employers and hospitals can't lower these prices themselves, what should the government do, if anything? Harvard economist Mike Chernew says it's these questions that are fueling this moment. The hospital's angst, the employer's outrage, and lawmakers caught in between. We're having a race between people who are trying to make markets work better and people who are trying to find government intervention to correct their flaws. America in general, we tend to like it when markets win, but when the problems get really big, the government will need to intervene. As of today, that is not what most hospitals want to see. The American Hospital Association, the industry's largest lobbying group, didn't agree to an interview. They did point us to congressional testimony from 2019, saying that hospitals, insurers, and employers should negotiate deals on their own. They oppose any price caps or the kind of Medicare benchmarking supported by employer groups like Gloria's or Bob's. But the country's most proactive employers are pushing ahead anyway. Yeah. In New Jersey, the state just overhauled its health plan for teachers and expects to save $30 million a year. A group of public employers in Colorado just inked their first hospital contract using Medicare as a benchmark. And Marilyn and Gloria are teaming up with business groups from Houston to Maine to get employers even more data to use in contract talks. The goal, says Gloria, is to strike fair deals driven by data and evidence, not force hospitals out of business. I have a lot of respect for them. I mean, the work they do is tremendous. We need it. We value it. All we're talking about is fair prices. Like we've heard today, there's lots of reasons why most employers are standing on the sidelines. Worker pushback, hospital power. But there's one reason that rarely gets talked about. This work, says Marilyn Bartlett, takes courage. You know you're going to face horrible obstacles. You know you're going to lose friends. And you're going to be called names. You're going to be laughed at ridiculed, written up in newspapers. What are some names you were called? Oh, well, a bitch. That was common, but I mean, that's probably every day. (laughs) Uh, Bitch, stupid, didn't know what I was talking about. That's how you can really slam me. Even at her lowest point, Marilyn understood why she kept leaning in, because she felt like it was her duty. When you dig in and you follow the money and you see all the money inflated in this system... It's not right. And you can't turn your back on that. Marilyn says if employers want to keep buying health care for millions of Americans, they have an obligation to use this new data, these new tactics, and start getting better deals. 
The reality is this is hard. This is hard work and it became harder than I ever anticipated it would be. But the resources are there. And now it's up to the employers to just stay focused and move forward. Marilyn knows the last two or three decades in healthcare are littered with the bones of splashy employer coalitions, beautiful bar graphs, and promises never kept. And maybe all this work, all her work, will go that way too. But for now, she's sticking to it. I'm Dan Gorenstein. I'm Leslie Walker. And this is Tradeoffs. At the end of 2020, Congress finally passed legislation banning surprise medical bills. It was a big deal and a big relief to patients. But will it work the way it's supposed to, or lead to unintended consequences? To find out, we head to the research corner, next time on Tradeoffs. If you enjoyed today's episode of Tradeoffs, keep in touch with us between episodes by signing up for our newsletter. Click on the link in the show notes or on the big orange button at the top of our website, tradeoffs.org. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter at tradeoffspod. And we'd be grateful if you gave us a rating on Apple Podcast, NPR One, or whichever app you use. Tradeoffs is produced by Ryan Levy and Christine Fennessy, Chief of Strategy and Operations Jessica Silverman, Communications Manager Matt Clyburn, Operations Assistant Jamie Song, Sound Designer Andrew Perella, and Senior Producer Leslie Walker. This episode was edited by Kate Cahan. The Tradeoffs theme song was composed by Ty Sitterman with additional music this episode from Rapid Grass, Rice Work, Broke for Free, Unheard Music Concepts, and Blue Dot Sessions. Today's episode is part of a series on healthcare prices supported in part by West Health. One other note, the RAND studies mentioned in today's episode were funded by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, which also funds Tradeoffs. Additional thanks to Chris Whaley, Phil Terry, Natalie Roberts, Niall Brennan, Steve Abel, Rachel Cohen, Julie Stone, Suzanne Del Banco, Dan Villa, Dan Burke, Brian DeVore, Barbara Waxman, Tom Williams, Arnie Milstein, Vivian Ho, Gary Claxton, Tricia Newman, Erica Socker, Kathy Hempstead, Jennifer Fairman, Trish Riley, Kelly Osmondson, and the Tradeoffs Advisory Board. Thanks also to all our listeners who helped to support our work, including Berna Hebner, and Laurel and Joe Lipsick. Tradeoffs is supported in part by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, Arnold Ventures, the Leonard Davis Institute of Health Economics at the University of Pennsylvania, the California Healthcare Foundation, and the National Institute for Healthcare Management. The views expressed in this episode are those of the individuals and not those of Tradeoffs staff, advisors, or funders. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started <laughs> <laughs> 